From the Moan Broadcast Center at KPCC, this is The Frame. I'm John Horn. The Summer Olympics are off. Now a new game, calculating how much sports networks will lose from the cancellations. Then Kathy Yan, the director of Birds of Prey, hopes her movie Going On Demand can bring some diversion to an anxious world. I know I haven't really laughed in weeks now, you know, and I think we're all there. There's such a shared anxiety and fear for what's to come. So, you know, if the movie can just help some people out, I think that's only a good thing, especially right now. And stand-up comedians who can no longer hit the road. That's Today in the Frame. We'll be right back. Imagine if you could charge your electric vehicle at the places you already love to eat, shop, and play. Whether you're at the movies, on your weekly grocery trip, or running errands at your local mall, Volta EV charging stations are built around your day-to-day and located in your community and nationwide. All you have to do is check in, plug in, and go about your day. It's EV charging made convenient. Download the Volta app to find your new favorite place to charge. Welcome to The Frame. I'm John Horn. In what was a surprise to no one, the organizers of Tokyo's Summer Olympics have postponed the Games to 2021. The decision follows the cancellation of pretty much every other live sporting event. That's a problem not only for people like me who love sports on TV, but also for the networks and cable channels that rely on sports to get viewers and sell advertising. NBC Universal, which has the rights to the Tokyo Games, has said that it had sold about 90% of its advertising time for the Summer Olympics, worth about $1.25 billion. Lucas Shaw covers media and entertainment for Bloomberg. Lucas, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, John. So let's step back for a moment. Broadcast and cable networks spend billions of dollars to get the rights to live sports, everything from basketball To cricket, I'm not kidding, Disney Star Sports paid $2.5 billion for rights to Indian Premier League cricket not long ago, and now they have nothing to show for it, right? How much are they losing? You know, it's too early to know just how much they're losing because a lot of these networks and sports leagues are still operating under the assumption that these events will happen at some point. So in the case of the Olympics, one of the topics that I'm trying to get to the bottom of, and I know some of my colleagues and peers are as well, is how exactly the contracts work with those financial commitments. You know, if you are one of the advertisers that is committed to that $1.25 billion total, Are you still committing for the games in 2021? Do you have the ability to back out and reallocate that money? There's a lot of uncertainty in the advertising marketplace right now because you see, you know, the most popular type of programming on television, which is sports, not being on for any time in the next three months, four months, maybe six months. We don't really know how long. And so you have a lot of advertisers, some of whom just can't advertise right now because, you know, if you're a hotel chain, if you're a restaurant, you're probably not going to do a bunch of advertising. Or if you do want to advertise, you then shift it to news, which is what a lot of people are watching, but is sometimes a little tough from an advertising perspective. Do you shift it online or do you just sit it out for a while? So what are people who rely on sports doing? I mentioned Disney and its uh, cricket deal. It has theme parks shut down. Its cruise ships are dry docked. Its movies can't play in theaters. And on top of all that, it owns ESPN, which used to just print money for Disney. 
So what are sports channels like ESPN doing outside of the Olympics? Because they don't really have much to show or talk about on their highlight shows. Yeah, sports networks like ESPN, Fox Sports 1, they're re-airing a lot of old games. You know, if you look at the, the Fox Sports schedule for today, I believe it's a bunch of college basketball. In ESPN's case, they're going back to some of the documentaries that they've made, like the O.J. Simpson Made in America, which was an award-winning and truly excellent documentary. Or they're just trying to put together stunts, if you will. You know, ESPN turned ESPN2 into the Ocho, which was initially kind of made famous by the movie Dodgeball as sort of this joke about all these different niche sports. But they were showing marble rolling. I pulled up Twitter the other day and I saw that there was there was pizza box folding. Um, so it's a mix, but the, the viewership for all these shows is is way, way down for these networks. It's shifting to other places. Uh, and, and sports fans are, are having to look elsewhere. You know, the amount of people and the amount of time being spent streaming video on Netflix, Disney+, Hulu, Amazon, YouTube is way up. The amount of time that people are spending playing video games is also up. You know, how that all evens out is is a bit unclear. Uh, but it's a it's a big problem moving forward for for ESPN, for Fox, for Turner, because they have no relief coming anytime soon. The next real event on the calendar is college football and pro football in the fall. And, and who knows where we'll be at then. In terms of what the Olympic organizers were facing, it felt like there were a couple of issues. And one was the health of the athletes, but also whether or not athletes could even train if, for example, you were a volleyball player. I can't imagine you would want to be in a gym working out with your volleyball team. Maybe if you did solo sailing, you'd be okay. But wasn't that part of the factor that the athletes themselves were not training for the games? Yeah, it's not as simple as we'll just seclude these athletes for three or four months and then we'll show up at the end of July and you can just sort of turn them on like it's an oven or something. These these athletes are spending days, weeks, months leading up to the events getting in the best shape of their lives, doing kind of final practice runs. And that's why you started to see, you know, this this postponement felt inevitable, not just because other events had been postponed, because you saw different teams and different countries saying, why are we going forward with this? This makes no sense. You had two of the biggest contingents of the U.S. team, I believe both swimming and track and field, say before it was postponed that they didn't think it was a good idea to move forward. And what will that mean for the 2021 games? I guess in some ways, some athletes have a very narrow window where they are at their peak. And also, might it actually generate pent-up demand? I mean, could the 2021 games, if they happen, be even bigger than NBC might have had if the games were going on this summer? You know, that is one of the big questions that I think people across the, the media and entertainment landscape are debating right now, right? So if you have all of these sports that you're not showing, all these movies that you're not showing, will there be that pent-up demand for it in six months, in 12 months? If so, how do you space out this backlog? You know, pretty much every movie that's coming out is unlikely to be released in movie theaters this summer. All the sporting events from the spring and summer will be pushed to the fall, winter, and, and beyond. And so how do you schedule all that? Now, all things considered, that's a, a good problem to have if at that point these events can happen and there is pent-up demand, but we don't know how that will shake out. We're talking with Lucas Shaw at Bloomberg about the cancellation of the Summer Olympics. If you look at movie theaters, at least the stock of movie theater companies, their share prices have been cratering. How soon will we know what kind of impact the lack of sports has had on broadcast and cable networks? When will it start to reveal itself in terms of quarterly earnings? Mid-April to mid-May. Of the media companies, Netflix is usually the first company to report. 
uh, and they tend to report earnings in the, the second or third week of April. But for some of these companies, the effect may be so significant that they have to to let you know before then. Usually, if there's an event that is materially affecting your results, you try to warn investors ahead of time so they're not surprised. And so a company like Disney, which is obviously, you know, there, there aren't people going to theme parks, there aren't people going to movie theaters, they might make some kind of disclosure in, in early April ahead of its earnings report, which is more likely to be late April, early May. So my two kids have been watching a lot of two series, Sunderland Till I Die, about the English Premier League, and then Formula One Drive to Survive, about Formula One racing. What is your go-to catalog sports event or documentary series that you are going to for your sports fix? A part of me is considering getting back into video gaming so I can play NBA 2K <laughs> and engage in sports that way. Uh, but I, you know, I, I might go back and watch uh, O.J. Simpson. I might just try and listen to the voice of Vin Scully and old Dodger broadcasts. I've thought about going back with friends and rewatching the 2001 NBA playoffs, which was probably the best the Lakers ever were. Something like that I'm sure I will get into over the next couple of weeks. Lucas Shaw covers media and entertainment for Bloomberg. Lucas, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Thanks, John. Coming up on The Frame, the director of Birds of Prey, the movie was in theaters, and it's rushing to video on demand and streaming. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at Elias.com slash sweeps. Welcome back to The Frame. I'm John Horn. As the film industry adjusts to this new normal, movies that opened in theaters just a couple of weeks ago are being rushed onto video on demand and streaming platforms. In a pre-pandemic era, that quick move would have been unthinkable. As of today, you can watch the R-rated DC comic book movie Birds of Prey on demand. The action film opened in theaters in early February to good reviews. It grossed more than $200 million worldwide before theaters were shut down. It stars Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn, her breakout character from Suicide Squad. Do you know what that means? That means he's not just after the kid anymore. He's after all of us. He's sure as hell after me. I just robbed him. You just betrayed him. You just killed his BFF. And you're dumb enough to be building a case against him. So, unless we all want to die very unpleasant deaths and let Roma go finger fishing in the kids' intestinal tract, we're going to have to work together. <sighs> Birds of Prey was directed by Kathy Yan. I'm, I am thankful, actually. I think that this, this was a very smart move by Warner Brothers to collapse that window right now. Um, I think that with everyone staying at home, um, which is only the responsible thing to do, People are looking for um, some levity <laughs> and some entertainment. And, you know, we as entertainers, we have that responsibility to still do what we can. And obviously, it's so much harder now. Um, and new productions um, have all been put on hold. And so we have a limited amount of content, really, that um, is new or um know that people can really watch so i think it's a really good opportunity to get the movie out there if not only just because hopefully it is this like breath of fresh air that it is just meant to um take you out of the world and 
you know, make you laugh and it's heightened and it's a fun, fun ride. And if we're just, you know, an hour and a half, it can distract someone <laughs> from going down the deep coronavirus news hole um, or, you know, get someone to just chuckle at something. I mean, I know I haven't really laughed in weeks now, you know, and I think we've all, we're all there. There's such a shared anxiety and fear for what's to come. So, you know, if the movie can just, you know, help some people out, um, I think that's only a good thing, especially right now. What do you make of the numbers in Hollywood? There's a report that more than 120,000 below-the-line jobs have been lost since the start of the coronavirus outbreak. These are people who might work as scripts. They might work in craft service, transportation, who might not be able to find other work easily. What kinds of things are you hearing about what crews are going through? And is there any way that you know they'll be okay? Yeah, it's really, really difficult right now. Um, it's, I think that, you know, the film industry, like the entertainment industry is hurting, but so is, re- like, so are restaurants, so are hotels. I mean, every day, every day more and more people are getting laid off. Um, and that's really, really, really scary. I Like, I've donated to a fund that's been set up to, um, you know, just try to help and, 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 and provide some additional um, funding for exactly those people, the below the line people that, you know, uh, rely on exactly like film sets in order to make a living. Um, and I can actually try and right now and direct you to that if people are interested in helping out um, or just, you know, Google it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's all we can really do right now, unfortunately, because it's it's not just the film industry; it's 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 almost every industry. Um, and I think what I've been really um, impressed by is that I think you know there's just been this moment of adjustment to this new normal, but now there has been this like really nice um, community building and people starting to think about others and trying to do what they can to help others and to, and to, and to donate to others. Um, and I also think that, you know, it could be an interesting time to see what sort of original content can be made in this age of, of quarantine and utilizing um, all of our new technologies to still try to make something. How does that affect you now that the state is basically under shutdown? How are you dealing with isolation, not only as a creative person, but just as a person? (laughs) Probably, you know, as well as anyone else can. I feel lucky. I feel very, very lucky that I have a home. Um, I know plenty of people that are freaking out about just that. Um, I feel lucky that I'm not stuck with five children. I haven't been having to deal with how to educate them. So in many ways, I'm feeling mostly just really lucky and trying to do everything I can to help others. in terms of creative creativity, I, I do think that there's a lot. Um, and I've started talking to other filmmakers and friends about this. It's like, it's very interesting, I think, to see uh, socially how people will change and how they won't and, and what will come of human behavior um, over the next few weeks. And um, I think that is a really interesting starting point for a story, for a script, for um any new ways of um, of storytelling. So I'm definitely trying to get creative again <laughs> um, after, you know, after I think all of us taking some time to just reflect on what the hell is happening in the world. Um, 
but I actually think it's a really good time to be creative if you can afford it. And it's a really interesting time to start writing your thoughts on paper, to start exploring music or painting. I like literally just ordered some like paintbrushes and paint and, um, and it could be nice in, in the weird silver lining of this. I think that everyone has a lot of creative bones in their bodies and maybe this, this time of, of um, quiet will allow them to explore that. We're talking with Kathy Yan, the director of Birds of Prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. When you think about what you saw growing up, there might have been movies in the States, might have been movies in China. How do you think that shaped your kind of view of global cinema in terms of the kinds of different storytelling techniques and ways of approaching storytelling that might be different from country to country? Yeah, that's really interesting. I definitely grew up on both classic American indies as well as classic American like blockbusters, but also a good amount of world cinema, especially Chinese. I love like some of my favorite movies are from that kind of early 1990s era of Chinese independent film, like early Jaimo, um, early Chen Kaige, um, Farewell My Concubine, you know, um, To Live, a bunch of those movies. And I don't. I mean, I think that film is very universal in a way, um, especially a lot of the ones that don't rely on um, on language as much, but like really the use of visual language. I think that it was really good and um, inspiring for me to have grown up watching really amazing Asian cinema, um, and also of course Wong Kar Wai because it just showed that. Um, Asians were capable of it, really, and in, in, in such a creative field. And I was, I think I was used to watching people who look like myself on the big screen, you know, playing all the different roles, like playing the hero, playing the, you know, the male lead, all of that. And so I think that was really beneficial to me when I started making movies myself, because I had just a bit more of that, like, global upbringing and global education in terms of what what film could be. I think now in the US, it's finally starting to open people's eyes. And, you know, the success of something like Parasite, for example, has been so incredible to watch. Um, and you know, that people are finally, hopefully, <laughs> able to overcome that two inch, you know, barrier of subtitles and just enjoy a movie for what it is and realize how universal it is and how. Um, how similar and how human we all are. And especially, you know, in the face of coronavirus, I think that's that that message is really loud and clear. Finally, I'm curious what your reaction has been to a lot of the anti-Chinese and anti-Asian bigotry that's come up around coronavirus, the way, in fact, some people are describing it as the Chinese virus. Sure. I mean, that's extremely disappointing. And, you know, I felt it. I was I have been told, um, you know, by my friends and family in Hong Kong that face masks are a good thing. And, you know, that's that's the culture that exists. And I think arguably um, have been ha- have been instrumental in keeping the numbers down in Taiwan and Japan and in Hong Kong specifically. But I was afraid of walking outside with a face mask on being Asian um, in New York City after hearing of some of these acts of violence. Um, and I think that's extremely disappointing. Um, and hopefully if enough people just keep reminding everyone that this is clearly 
not just the Chinese problem. <laughs> this is a global issue. Um, but one that, you know, I also think on the flip side that China has to control, which is the management of uh, these types of outdoor wet markets, um, because we are going to continue to be exposed to that. And if that is, in fact, how this one started, I really hope that the Chinese government is going to crack down on it. I know they have started to say that they will, but they also seem to have a loophole in terms of Chinese medicine. Um, but that said, viruses can start anywhere and they can spread every, anywhere and they're clearly borderless. And so right now, I think we need everyone to work together and not to discriminate. Kathy, thanks so much for coming on the show. Stay safe and healthy. You too. Thank you so much. Kathy Yan is the director of Birds of Prey. It's available on demand across multiple platforms as of today. Up next on The Frame, what do road comedians do when they can't hit the road? Al Aist has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite L.A. restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at LAist.com events. Welcome back to The Frame. I'm John Horn. As the lights have gone out at live venues around the world, that loss of work has hit a lot of people hard, including stand-up comics. The Frame contributor Tim Grieving reports on how social distancing is affecting the people who make us laugh. Nice. That's most of you. Some of you got nervous. Like, this chick looks Mormon. Okay. <laughs> It's fine. I know what it is. I got a real bad case of all raise your baby face. Just very wholesome. We're just round and white like a chore wheel with eyes. Men don't even picture me naked. They just picture me helping their mom on Easter. Taylor Tomlinson is only 26, but her stand-up career is igniting in a big way. After appearances on Conan and The Tonight Show, she just released her first special on Netflix. You put comedy specials out in the hopes that people will see them and then buy tickets to come see you on the road in the same way like bands put out albums now to ensure that people buy tickets to come see you live. That's where a lot of people make most of their money now in entertainment is live events. Tomlinson had to cancel all of her live gigs for at least the next two months. She was on the lineup for the inaugural Netflix is a Joke Comedy Festival in late April, which also got postponed. I'm on the road every weekend. Unless you're doing a TV show or selling a special somewhere, your main source of income is is doing comedy clubs or if you're a bigger act, theaters on the road. So I think a lot of entertainers are having to sort of hunker down and just rely on their podcast or their Patreon or their merch site or their savings account. Like you really just kind of have to lay low right now and hope it gets better. Jenna Friedman is another stand-up comic hit by the shutdown. I was supposed to go on like a 20-show tour. I had shows in Vegas, London, Amsterdam, Antwerp. Friedman got her start writing for The Late Show with David Letterman and as a field producer for The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. I love men. Uh, one of my best friends is a man. I, uh, I'm actually half-man. Um, on my dad's side, so... She's had to eat some of the cost of her canceled tour. The venues have been really cool. 
uh, flights I'm trying to get compensated for. Um, hopefully Air France will step up if I keep tweeting at them. But Friedman says she learned early on not to rely financially on her stand-up. I mostly make uh, money writing and directing and kind of creating my own content. I'm working on some writing projects, which is easy to do remotely, and I write punch-up and write scripts and stuff. You know, but I also think a lot of comedians, if it weren't a pandemic, we'd be having the same conversation, because I think comedy is particularly stand-up comedy in our country. You either make no money or you make all the money. There's really no middle class. So if you are kind of like a stand-up in the middle, which I think I am at this point, like you have to kind of supplement your income and you always have had to. (laughs) One of my favorite improv comedians is Carl Tart. Here he is playing the character of Chief on the podcast Comedy Bang Bang. I am the chief of Acme Industries. We are a private investigating firm. Devoted to, devoted to one finding client. One client. <laughs> find, and she's not even a client because you're trying to find her. I'm trying to find her, that whistling wizard, Carmen Sandiego. When South by Southwest was canceled, Tart lost a paid improv gig. And while clubs are closed, he and his improv team, White Women, comprised of black men, won't be doing their monthly show at UCB. And even though UCB performers don't get paid, it's still a loss. Nobody would know who I was if it wasn't for the theater. So with all the podcasts that I've done, with all the TV shows and writing jobs that I've gotten, all that stuff has come from people seeing me perform, and then I end up getting the money for it. Tart is a writer on the upcoming NBC series starring Kenan Thompson, which hasn't gone into production yet. And for now, he's still working, only the writer's room has gone virtual. We are currently working from home on Zoom. The writer's room is such a communal uh, thing, and creative juices kind of come naturally from us just kind of being cool with each other. Right now, not having that interpersonal connection and being over these, like, computer screens, it's kind of weird to, like, try to be like, oh, what if this person says this? And then you end up talking over somebody and then it kind of cuts in and out. He also booked a TV pilot as an actor, which was supposed to shoot next week. Not anymore. Still, Tart knows he's one of the lucky ones. A lot of comedians are servers and bartenders and stuff like that. And with the bars closing and stuff, they're getting hit hard. Yeah, a lot of people who are who are just coming up in comedy and who are just like before they get their job that they like can like kind of rely on. They are all kind of like in a limbo. But when things get dark, Jenna Friedman says we need to laugh more than ever. We're just in this weirdly chaotic moment. So I do think, you know, humor is probably going to be making a resurgence just because we'll need it to get through this time. For The Frame, I'm Tim Grieving. And that'll do it for today. But just a quick note before we go. KPCC is still trying to meet its spring membership drive goal of $1 million. We are close. And if you join today, instead of taking a thank you gift, you can choose to help feed shelter pets through the Pasadena Humane Society and the SPCA. So please give now at kpcc.org. And thanks. I'm John Horn. Hang in there. We're back here tomorrow at the Moan Broadcast Center. Thank you.